Sure, right. check for three months. What's the worst? I mean, yeah. the worst that happens is you tear your Achilles. That's a terrible, <laughs> that's a terrible example. Yeah. Hello, and welcome to the Physical Preparation Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Robertson, and I am joined today by the one and only Rhett Larson. Rhett is currently the strength coach for the German women's national team, and prior to this stop, he has also spent time with the Netherlands women's national volleyball team, and also just so happened to win a gold medal with the Chinese women's national volleyball team. So needless to say, the guy knows a thing or two about athletic development and training volleyball players. And man, I'm absolutely buzzing after this show. We talked about so many different topics. We took a deep dive into all of the various stops that Rhett had on his journey, because I think it's really interesting going from, you know, Newport Beach, California, hanging out on the beach all day, happy hours, all that good stuff, to moving to China and working there for seven years going from China to then going into Europe and working in that market. So we talk about his professional journey and his career arc. We talk a lot about warmups. If you follow Rhett, aka the Rhettosaurus on Instagram, he is a master when it comes to warmups. So we're going to talk about why he got passionate about warmups, some things that he feels are absolute must-haves in your warmups, and some things that he doesn't spend all that much time on, which I thought was super interesting. We talk about ankle durability. If you train volleyball players, basketball players, you know the ankles can be a weakness. So we talk about how to bulletproof those ankles. We talk about deceleration and his thoughts on looking for small ponds. So all kinds of great information and insights in this show. We're going to take a quick break and then we'll jump into this awesome new episode with Rhett Larson. Did you know that in any given year, 40% of the trainers and coaches in our industry will leave our industry. Maybe that's why it seems like almost every day I talk to trainers and coaches who are frustrated. Maybe they're frustrated with the results they're getting. Maybe they're frustrated because they don't have trusted resources to learn from. And maybe they're frustrated because they simply don't have enough clients and wonder how long they'll be able to stay in the industry. So if this sounds anything like you, let me tell you how I can help. My Complete Coach Certification was created for trainers and coaches just like you. People who are serious about the results they get and know that becoming a better coach can directly translate to a bigger bottom line. This certification is going to take the last 20 plus years of my life's work and put it all into one massive course. In the cert, you'll learn how to use my R7 system to create seamless, integrated, and efficient programs for clients and athletes of all shapes and sizes. You'll learn the exact progressions, regressions, and coaching cues I use in the gym to help your clients squat, hinge, press, and pull with awesome technique. You'll learn my streamlined assessment process that will help you determine the exact movements your clients should be performing when they come in the gym. And last but not least, you'll learn how to create relationships and build rapport with virtually everyone you train so you can get the best possible results. Of course, there's a lot more that I cover, but that should give you a pretty good idea of what the CERT is all about. Now, here's the thing. Spots for the CERT only open twice per year for a limited time. But if you join my free insiders list now, you'll be able to save $200 when my next group opens. To get on the insiders list, just head over to completecoachcertification.com. Again, That's completecoachcertification.com, and then stay tuned for our launch emails very soon. Thank you so much for your support, and I hope you'll join us when the next Complete Coach Certification launches. All right, Brett, man, it's been like a decade in the making, maybe more. I don't know how long we've been planning this, but super excited to have you on the show here today. Could you just start by telling us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Thanks for having me. I have been a fan of yours for a while and I've been passive aggressively needling you to get on this pod with you. Yeah, I am the currently the strength and conditioning coach for the German women's national volleyball team. But before that, I was with the Dutch team for a couple of years. And before that, I spent seven years in China training their volleyball team for three years. And then prior to that, I was training a bunch of the sports that China cares deeply about. Uh, like both in Shanghai and in Beijing 
and I went over there with Team Exos to help the Dutch, or sorry, to help the, the Chinese teams prepare for the London games in 2012. And then I just, for whatever reason, over and over again, decided to keep staying, wanted to keep that adventure going. And so that yeah. is my, has been a lot of my professional career. But before that, I, I spent a dozen years at a sports performance facility in Southern California that specialized in training young athletes. And so I was a youth okay. training, training guy for you know, kind of the nascent stages of my career before I jumped into training elite Chinese Olympians. Yeah, that's cool, man. So I'm always interested. I'd love to get like the backstory because you can read about it or check out somebody's bio, but I would love to hear like early days, what got you into working out or what got you into what we describe as physical preparation? Mm. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't going to go down this path. I had a, a family full of attorneys. And so I was pretty sure I was going to go to law school. My dad asked me before I, before taking the LSAT, he said, hey, listen, you need to go and work in law firms for a little bit. And so that's what I did for about three or four years in Washington, D.C. Mm. I jumped around litigation boutiques and did some really cool stuff, but quickly decided that law wasn't for me. And along the way, I started teaching a course at my local Gold's, Gold's Gym, a course called Sports Conditioning, just to get a free membership. Okay. And uh, yeah. that, that free membership in that course lit me on fire. Like I was sitting That's at awesome. my job at, at the law firm and I was just reading Don Chu plyometric books under my, under my desk <laughs> when nobody was looking. And I was just on fire thinking about what I was going to do with my, with my Tuesday, Thursday classes every week. And eventually my mom was like, yeah, you could go to grad school for this. And, and that sent me back mm -hmm. to grad school. And I got lucky that right after grad school, I got, I had lucked into training um, a couple of the Indiana Pacers when I was, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I was like a newbie strength coach at this, at this gym down in Atlanta, Georgia, when the Pacers walked in and I was the strength coach that had been there for or the personal trainer that had been there for two days, but I was the only one of the 30 personal trainers that had their NSCA CSCS. And that was a requirement. Oh, nice. Yeah. So all these like old guys that have been there for 20 years working with NBA players had to step aside while the new guy who was the only one that had their SCSC yeah. had to jump in with Jermaine O'Neal and a couple of the other Pacers. Oh, yes, um, man. I'm a huge Pacers fan, like oh, basically so for life. So I love Jermaine O'Neal, dude. That's so awesome. I get, I get J.O. right after, right when he he had joined the Pacers. Yeah, I trained him. Oh, my God. Yeah, I trained him. The summer before he makes his first all-star team, he makes he gets NBA's most improved player of the year. Like, yeah, he was makes, sick, yeah. dude. He goes crazy, and it has nothing to do. I was a clipboard cowboy. I did everything. That, you know, <laughs> the, Pacers, the Pacers gave me his whole program. I just walked around with the clipboard. He's like my first guy yeah. I ever personal trained. I'm just walking around just oh to move in the pin and just telling yeah. reps and, and doing my best wow. to, to motivate him to come back every day. But I got a lot of undue credit for, for how well he did that season. And I used the crap out of that notoriety to, to boost my resume to get some better jobs in the future. And yeah, that, that little experiment uh, took me over uh, to Southern California, where I got in with um, a Velocity Sports Performance franchise that ended up taking over the network. And I got lucky there. So a couple of, the, a couple of great oh things gosh. fell into place that put me in a good position yeah. that when in 2011, when Exos was looking for somebody that had leadership experience and also had worked with some elite athletes and knew a bunch of the knew the methodology of Exos so at that point, athletes performance really well. Uh, I was one of the names that cropped up and I got sent over to lead a team of physios and strength coaches that that would go over there. Yeah. To go over to China. That's cool. Work with yeah. those athletes. And, and Mike, to tell you the truth, it always just made sense for me. If, if I'm engineering my life, like when I was thinking about being an attorney, versus being a, a strength coach. I love the freedom that being a strength coach gives you to be able to work sure. wherever you want and on the planet. It's a lifestyle, sorry, it's a profession that forces you to be in shape for, a, there's something to be said for that. For sure. Like you're talking about yeah, absolutely. longevity. There's something to be said for having a, a, a job where it's real easy and there's social pressure to actually be fit. And as I'm, <laughs> yep. now that I'm 51 years old, I'm looking for all those little life hacks to keep me fit into my 80s and 90s. So that's that. How old did you say you are? Yeah, 51. I'll How old did you do this year? Shut right? up. No way, dude. I never would have guessed that. I'm no spring chicken. Wow. Long in the yeah, tooth. good for you, man. <laughs> dude, I I'm really intrigued by this, though. Family full of attorneys. There was no blowback when you're like, nah, I'm going to go hang out in gyms all day. 
They no, were cool with that? Exactly why they told me to do it. Because you would find that's awesome. young, you'd find young attorneys who were had really wonderful home lives, but weren't so happy with work or really into their work, but kind of didn't have much of a life at home, but never the twist. So like, mm. it just didn't seem, I didn't want to waste my young years, my vibrant young single guy years stuffed in a, in a closet, a document closet, redacting documents. And none of that yeah. appealed to me when there was so much more out there. Yeah, no, I get it, man. Okay. 2011, you're tasked with leading this group. You go to China, man, just walk us through like the next 12 years, right? Yeah, <laughs> and right. as long or short a time as you want, but I would love to just hear the career path and what led you from that first gig to staying over there to kind of where you're at now. Yeah. So yeah, with China, it became this, I've never been one that is, I've always preached being comfortable getting, being comfortable, being uncomfortable till I got to China where I really had to, to live it. It is when I, before China, I'd been in Southern California, living Huntington Beach, where it's spring break every day <laughs> for 10 years. Right. I was, it was the complete opposite of a hard lifestyle. I had the best life for I me. Mean, it was incredible. It was probably going to drive me to an early grave, but they, China really, really made me feel alive. And as a kind of as somebody that loves to tell a story and loves to just have an anecdote, like China is full of them. You will. If you journal, yeah. if you're into journaling, you will fill up journals in China because every day <laughs> is another, oh my God, I can't believe this happened to me moment. And it really made me feel alive and awake. And I felt like I was doing something remarkable, something that was interesting. I actually, I think, and I'd be remiss if I didn't mention, I was also getting paid way more than I could make in the United States. So absolutely. Uh, and, yeah. yeah. And not only that, but also with zero expenses. I mean, I had an audible account yes. and a Spotify account and nothing else. So it wow. was just able to just bank money for a while and invest. And all that appealed to me also, but from that, from that gig and I, all that appealed to me, like I could really, I was happy that I had some prescience at the nascent stages of my career where I could really see that this would be a nice way for me to not, for me to be able to invest in my future and not have to uh, maybe take jobs that I don't want in the future. Yeah. You know, sometimes yeah, I have absolutely. old strength coaches and I think, do you really love coaching? Do you really want to still be waking up at X in the morning and having to do this yeah. gig with all your kids? And I never wanted that for myself. I wanted to have the freedom that comes with kind of financial independence. Yes. And I saw China as a means to get that. And I'm not, I'm not afraid to suffer a little bit so that I can yeah. benefit, you know, delay a little gratification. Yeah, man. I remember a couple people going over there at that point in time where they were actively like seeking out maybe not just Americans, but it seemed like there were a lot of American consultants going in and the numbers they were offering, Hey, come here for a month and work with this team. And we're talking like tens of thousands of dollars for a month. And I'm like, wow, that's significant, man. They're like, nobody speaks English. Like you're going to be the only English speaker there other than maybe the interpreter, but you're, you're going to make a lot of money. And it's like, oh, wow. okay, I, look, there, there's an element to that, right? <laughs> yeah. There's an I, element to that. A little bit of me cringes whenever I hear too much of this kind of this talk where we all have to pay our dues and all have to work for very little. That's uh, I hate that's a part of our profession and not necessarily in right. a lot of other professions. And I don't think that you should be ashamed of saying, oh, I stayed in a job that there's certainly there's tons of parts of working in China that are no fun. Like, sure. you know, if you're just thinking, oh my God, I should go over to China. Imagine that you just dread every meal because that's that was my life. Like I dreaded almost every like it really was food as fuel and I was having to, Oh yeah. Yeah. It's just, and for years at a time and never having any control over your schedule and them not really respect, respecting your time and all of these things you have to really be able to live with along yep. with just how stressful it is every time you get into a taxi cab and that guy doesn't even <laughs> understand the word hello. Right. It's, and so there are, there are other parts of this that are not as good, but you have to be, that's the trade-off that you make in order to be able to with sacrifice, you get rewarded. If you're enjoying today's podcast and not already subscribed to the Robertson Training Systems newsletter, what are you waiting for? When you sign up, you'll get immediate access to materials that will help you write better programs, motivate people outside of the gym, and improve how your clients move and feel. 
Plus, the RTS newsletter is the only place where I announce up-and-coming events like virtual summits, live seminars, and my program design mentorship. And last but not least, I hate spam as much as you do, so I will only email you when I've got something valuable to deliver, something that will make you a better athlete, trainer, or coach. So if you're not already subscribed, head over to robertsontrainingsystems.com and register for our newsletter right now, today. Now, that's enough for me. Let's get back into this week's episode. Help me understand, because seven years is a long time to be over there. And like you said, dreading meals, worried about your life when you get in a cab. Something must have been good, though, beyond just the money, right? So talk to me. What kept you over there for seven years? It was really the, there's a couple things. First of all, after the first year and a half or two years, it got so much better because I could also pick my team. Exos was letting me kind of hire people. And so even though it, if I were there totally alone, that's a whole different ball game. Instead, I always sure. had two or three other expats from around the globe. And Mike, you'll never get closer to it's like that mutual trauma sure. that really bonds people. <laughs> like the, the folks yeah. that I was over in China with are some of my best friends and will be forever. If, I, if I'm putting together a guy's trip, that's those are the guys that I'm inviting over because there's that mutual hardship that, that fuses you. Yeah. And so that was a big part of it was the camaraderie from those guys and girls that I was over there with. But also just as you get to know the language, like it becomes kind of really fun. It's stimulating in in a way that I was very comfortable sleepwalking through my life in Southern California from happy hour to work to hangover to whatever. Like (laughs) in China, like it is, you got to be on your game. You got to be able to learn enough of the language. You have to be able to, if you want to flirt with somebody, you got to learn the language. You got (laughs) to be able to to roll with, I'm getting taken out for drinks by the ping pong team tonight. I'm going to go to a fencing competition this weekend. And if you're just used to working with football, basketball, soccer, baseball, like this was interesting. Like it was so yeah, much fun sure. to go to archery practice for two weeks and then go attend a handball tournament and then go to tra- have to be stuck with the trampoline team when they travel to Mongolia. <laughs> it, that was just, that was the the way of things. And so it got really fun. You just, you're like just accumulating stories. And not only, you got to remember China in these, all these sports I'm mentioning, China's like best in the world in a lot of them. So it's yeah. very fun to be just around the best athletes on planet earth in like a myriad of sports that you don't even think about in America, but they're on yeah. primetime TV in China all the time. And so from a strength and conditioning mm-hmm. standpoint, it's also super fun, like thinking, okay, how can I, if we're talking about things like deceleration in volleyball, watch fencing. Imagine yeah. a fencing coach saying, hey, we got to be able to stop faster. And I'm thinking, oh my God, you have the biggest quads I've ever seen. You guys can all do single leg, triple unders with a jump rope. And <laughs> you really have to, go back. But it's super fun to think about and to put your brain together with a bunch of really smart, like-minded strength coaches that you work with and be able to brainstorm how we can you know, solve this little problem. Yeah. I love it. Okay. So there was one more stop. Germany. Yes. Yeah. yeah me up- in Germany. Yeah. So, okay. so talk to me about just, was that just okay? Kind of China had run its course and it's, Hey, let me get to somewhere that maybe is a little bit more English speaking, or was yeah. it just like a different opportunity? Yeah, it was so. It was after the the Brazil the Rio games, and okay. I was with the volleyball team at the time, and our team got lucky enough to win a gold medal. And so it was after that big deal in China, and it was after that win that the new head coach from the Netherlands, who's an American guy, he came over and said, "Hey, Rhett, any chance I can steal you away from China for just one year while I get this program started? I really, I, I'm inheriting an entire staff of Dutch." assistant coaches. Mm. The only space I can hire somebody is in strength and conditioning. And I think you'd be a perfect fit because you're great at living overseas. He and I knew each other for a long time. And so I asked the Chinese head coach, I said, listen, can I just go over for one year? The year after the Olympics kind of throw away for the- Oh yeah, sure. Everybody's rebooting anyways, right? Exactly right. No problem. Just make sure you come back. I go to the Netherlands. I fall in love with living in Europe. But yeah. it's an amazing summer. I love the Dutch team. I love the Dutch culture. I love every. I, I love the coaching staff over there. It's just boom. I kind of forgotten how great it is to be able to speak English because I've been yeah. coaching Chinese for seven years. Okay, like I forgot what it's like to be able to laugh and use humor all the time. Right. <laughs> and so after that summer, I was true to my word. I went back to the Chinese team for a year, and so went back there. 
And then, and then told the Chinese, I'm so sorry. I'm just, my heart is back in the Netherlands. Went back to the Netherlands for yet another year, but then they, had, they decided to make a coaching switch, a head coaching switch. Oh. that. And oh, no. so you know, one of the big draws of the Netherlands was that one of my best friends, you know, the head coach had now become one of my best friends in the world, still is. And I kind of said, listen, I, I don't want to do it without him. And at this point, another guy that I'd gotten to know through many happy hours on the road was the head coach of the German team. And he said, Brett, I know that you're having a head coaching change. If you have any inkling to stay in the Europe, we'd love to have you on Team Germany. And so mm -hmm. that's where I am now. I love it. I love it. Okay. So I feel like that's a very good like overview of where you've been. I want to talk about you as a coach because I think there's so many interesting things about your outlook, but also just you have a unique way of looking at things that I respect because a lot of people are just rehashing, regurgitating the same stuff, right? So let's just start with warmups. Everybody wants to talk to you about warmups anyway. So let's just start there. <laughs> what got you so interested in warmups, dude? Because most of us, like you you talk about no zombies. We'll talk about that later. Let's not steal. Let's not steal that yet. But so many people are just like, oh yeah, warm up. Let's go do, let's go do it. We'll see you in five minutes. Why are you so passionate about warm ups, man? Uh, yeah, it is something that I, even I thought was pretty, I don't know, perfunctory, I guess, something mm -hmm. that was just kind of necessary. You got to get through. Right. And, and being part of a big system, like initially Velocity Sports Performance, which was a franchise system, 50 centers across the United States. And then with Exos, which is also a system where you have hundreds of coaches deployed all over the planet. I understand that in those systems, there is something to be said for you have to have a, a kind of a warm up system. It has to be a little bit regimented. There has to be, you can't just rely on coaches to do whatever they think is right, or you're going to have a yoga coach doing this and a Pilates, whatever. So within the confines, so I'd done that for decades. I'd, I'd been within those two systems for doing warmups, which are by all accounts incredible. I mean, yeah. Exos puts incredible in amounts of thought into designing a system for warming athletes up that has a ton of variability, but it still is jump ropes and slide boards and mini bands. Yeah. still seeing those same kind of things yeah. over and over again. And kind of they pride themselves in not being very sport specific because obviously you just can't be if you're hoping to scale something big. You can't just have every single one of your coaches able to create a ping pong specific warm up and a javelin thrower specific warm up. That's all. Yeah. That's example. When I kind of when I left Exos and I had the ability to be on my own, that's when the kind of the restrictor plates came off. And I th yeah. and thought, OK, how can I do this to be even more effective? And not just, and I'm, I'm not saying just from a monotony standpoint, because there is a lot there, but also just from a more targeted standpoint that I always thought that warm up was one of those things that in the grand scheme of having time with a team, like I'm always wanting to have more time in a weight room with the team, or I, I love to be able to do an agility session once a week. Hey coach, could we do a, a recovery session this week? I think we could use it. I just want to be more yeah getting to have 10 then maybe 15 minutes with the team every single day before practice starts like why am i just throwing that away with the same jumping jack crawls skips oh yeah, you know, yeah. karaoke like all that stuff when in fact like it could be this wonderfully reactive like place to be working on whatever the biggest weaknesses of my team at that time or whatever my team needs at that time or you know maybe it's what the athletes need at that time or what my head coach needs at that time or what our physios would like at that time like i can actually have this opportunity to be kind of this agent of alignment where yeah. i like i can, people can speak to me about what their biggest problems with the team are like i can be the conduit for the medical staff for a head coach that if a head coach is pissed that the team isn't reacting well on defense, then, hey, I'll raise my hand. Hey, I can, I'm going to turn the last five minutes of warm up into a reaction time training sessions for the next three weeks. And let's see if that moves the needle in what yeah. you think is a big problem. I'm going to just, I'm just going to look on Instagram for reaction time games and I'm going to throw everything against the chalkboard. You tell me if anything looks like it's volleyball and I'm going to try to adapt it to what you're doing in practice and blah, blah, blah. And if the, the medical staff is saying that we got a ton of patellar knee pain, then, then, okay, let me, then you guys, please tell me what your seven favorite patellar tendonitis rehab, prehab exercises are. Let me make our warmups into 
regen rehab sessions until that problem goes yeah. away. Let me help you. I mean, maybe it's because I've been cool. in the honeymoon phase with four different teams that I, <laughs> I, I'm like, it behooves me to try to make a good impression. And that's one of the For ways sure. to do it. Like, hey, let me make my warm up your warm up. I have plenty that I can do. And I have a library full of games that I think relate well to volleyball that I, if anybody's asking, I can justify why they're great for volleyball, but that is just going to be a third, maybe a, a quarter of what a, a warm up would be. Let, let me help you and let me fill in the rest of that warm up time with whatever you think it will make our team better. Yeah, dude, that's awesome. So now I really want to know, you kind of have this realization of, okay, restrictor plates are off. I can do what I want. Was the first session, like, do you remember that? Was it like very like line in the sand? This is a new me, new day. No. What, what did you do that first day? Do you remember that? No, if I'm being honest. Oh, I'm okay. <laughs> I was like, oh, it was the best warm up ever. I knew I had changed the world. And one of the no. things, I am lying a little bit when I say that at Exos, we were like by the letter, by the book. And Mark Verstegen was really great about it because he would come out to China and watch us. And I would say, listen, yeah. I'd be like, Mark, we are doing, I could tell him, if you're going to come watch me with the handball team, know that you're going to see the warm is going to look 60% Exos and then 40% is stuff that I've stolen from handball practices that I've yeah. slowed down, I've resisted, I have put on an unstable surface, but the coaches yes. freaking love it. And yeah, they are it's they buy-in. because they think I understand handball because I have <laughs> taken some of their drills and added them to warm up. And they're the drills of the stuff that they think the team sucks at. So I'm getting tons of street cred because I am doing this crazy lateral shuffle to twist to throw thing at the end of warm up. But that's part of the moves that they really think are important to the team. And I do this crazy shoulder mobility move that their Chinese doctor taught me that's going in there too, because they also love that. But so it's also, yeah. this is how I keep my freaking job, Mark. And he was, and yeah. Mark was like, absolutely. You do. Yeah. This is just being a good coach. And so that, that was all I needed to hear to be like, okay, now not only can I just, if I get with the volleyball team, can I just think abstractly, what do volleyball players need? Okay, let's do a little patellar tendonitis stuff. Let's make sure ankles are super mobile. Let's make sure shul shoulders are great. Let me get some stuff for jumping higher. And, and But it can be even more reactive than that. If I go to the yeah. Chinese team, the Chinese volleyball team, and I ask our head coach, which I did in the first couple in the first couple of days of training them, what's your biggest problem? She's like, we're the slowest Asian team. Asian teams, Japan, Korea, Thailand, are known for one thing, and that's blistering fast defense. Our mm. team is lumberingly slow. Mm. Said we would be maybe best on the planet if we could just be faster. And I was like, okay, just to yeah. let you know, if you could give me not 10 minutes, but 15, then I could spend the first eight, nine minutes just warming them up. So that the last six minutes of every single warm up will be races of some sort where we're running max speed. We're timing it. The results are getting printed so that the girls will care about it. And we are going to just do a ton of volleyball specific races, starting from volleyball specific positions, starting with crossovers, obstacle course, whatever it is. But every day, the girls are going to have to compete against each other for at least eight minutes until we become a fast team. And she yeah. was like, oh my God, you could do that in warm up? Yeah, sure. If you'll let me. And then she's like, take 20 minutes. Great. <laughs> yeah. 20, 25 minutes at the beginning of sessions. And we're just working on that. And at the end of that, when she's, Hey, the speed is really improved. I say, what are we doing next coach? Yeah, what, do, what do we I need next? It. Okay. But, you know, whatever shoulder problem, low back pain. Great. Let me add it. Can I, let me talk to the physios and let's, let's fix that. Yeah. That's awesome. I love that. Okay. So let's zoom out hmm. and we're just looking at warmups as a whole to you. What constitutes a good warm-up. What boxes need to be checked? Because we could talk specific sports, but like on a macro level, what does a good warm-up look like or what does it include? Yeah, like I said, and that this is the biggest thing, that it needs to be solving a problem. It needs to have a very specific goal. The bar for an actual effective warm-up is just getting body temperature up. I mean, that's all you got to do. That bar is super low to clear. Throw sweatsuits on people, have them jog around, and you've got to <laughs> a warm-up that will probably keep your entire team from getting hurt. But if we challenge ourselves, then it should be something that's solving a problem. And if in, in much of the season, everyone's going to be like, hey, we're doing OK. All right. So then it's OK. I get to choose the whole warm up. Great. So for me, it has to tick a box that there's parts of that warm up that the athletes 
are engaged in either having fun because it's a game or challenged by because they can't figure it out how to do it right i've i've increased the level of difficulty of something's you know to the point where they're falling all over themselves so they have to be <laughs> neurologically just furrowed brow and sweating trying to do something like movement kind of challenges right so it needs yep. an, it needs an aspect of that then it needs something that is making them stronger or faster. And this is kind of where it can be deceptive just to follow an Instagram feed where everybody's really loves to key in on the fun stuff, right? Where we're batting balloons around and throwing, trying to play Jedi's with sticks and, <laughs> and, and stuff like that. That would be in that first component. A lot of the movement challenges, a lot of the games that we play that, that constitute a third, a quarter of, of the warm-up. But where maybe I'm doing the best work is once we finish that game and the smiles are, are on their faces, then it's okay, let's pay our dues a little bit. Everybody head over to the wall. We're gonna do a handstand against the wall for 30 seconds. We're gonna do a, an isometric lunge uh, with a partner where you're gonna throw a medicine ball back and forth and you're trying to get the most reps possible competing against everybody else. Or maybe you're trying to knock your partner over and but that's a grind and so we're going to grind yeah. a little bit but i'm going to try my best to make it not so much as a grind i'm going to try to make it you know gamified in a way or yeah. engaging or interesting or at least different than we've ever done it before but upper body strength thing lower body strength thing if if my physio says our ankles aren't immobile as they need uh, mobility exercise for ankles and then bam everybody pick up your balloons again this time everybody put on a blindfold over one eye and we're all going to, we're going to do that same game we did before, but now it's just, we've taken the crazy up a notch and <laughs> Instagram and, and it's going to be the part everyone's talking about when in fact, the part that the coaches love is that the physio loves that I worked on the ankle mobility. The coach loves that I'm doing the, the handstands or the agility drill or something like that. And so we kind of get the, we kind of hopefully keep everybody wanting to buy me a beer afterward because we're helping everybody has something in there that they like. And, and it's not the same thing they've done every time. The, the longer I've been doing this, the less I care about the stretches, like what stretches you do. I ban all foam rolling from warm up. I don't, really? Yeah, I don't have time. For, I don't ban. I, we don't have yeah. time for it. When my time is yeah, yeah. When I, my time gotcha. is like stretching, like minimal stretching and foam rolling yeah. is all done beforehand. Because when my time starts, I, it's meat and potatoes. It is getting to, I want my warm up time to be the time where we get to play the game, do the strength or the speed games or whatever it is. Yeah. And you work with pros too, right? So yep. they kind of understand that time of, hey, when it's nine o'clock, it's go time. You need to be ready. Now we're on my time. That's, that's an excellent point, Mike. And, and it's an important thing that it would be a different scenario if I was work back working with youth again, that maybe that, and that certainly would demand a little bit more deliberate, like we used to do it. Okay, everybody foam roll your quads. Okay, I see everyone's right. doing this. This isn't the way you do it. Here's how you do it to make it right. This is gonna hurt a little bit. I need you to breathe this, right. blah, blah, blah. Really demonstrating things, yes. Yeah, these girls, and these girls all know that. It's the same way that if I had to do a foam rolling session, I'd probably wanna spend the most time on my triggered areas, my areas that really need it. I wouldn't yep. wanna waste time rolling out my right shoulder when I'm left-handed. I wouldn't wanna <laughs> spend a right. lot of time working on my calves that I've never had a problem. I don't know, whatever it is, I feel like that is something that's very personalized. And for that reason, is always taken care of beforehand. Pre-session. Yeah, yeah, before I get with them, because I have my own agenda. Yeah, I love it. Okay. As we talked about before the show, I grew up in a very volleyball-centric community. I played for a couple years myself. The downside to volleyball, a lot of the ankles are paper mache, right? Mine included. I can't tell you how many times somebody came under the net, I landed on their foot, and yeah. then the outside of my foot was on the ground. Oh, yeah. So one of the things that you talk about, I just lo I love your terminology, barefoot magic, right? <laughs> Talk to me about barefoot magic and where it fits into your programming. Yeah. All right. My first piece of advice for you, don't play with hacky volleyball players that would come under the net with their Oh my gosh. Feet. Right. There's your right. This, I was young, dude. I was young. There's your first problem right there. It's when I know it's the first thing, whenever I get with a team and they find out that I've played a little volleyball like you and I can hit a ball and they'll be like, Hey, do you want to get in a little bit? And everyone will be like, Rhett, do you know that your feet cannot come under the net at all? We cannot. <laughs> That's the biggest problem with having an amateur. Yeah or a non-professional go out to try to do anything with the volleyball players, they're gonna make a mistake like that. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so with the barefoot and with, with ankle strength and mobility, I think there's a couple of keys and it's changed. When I was with the 
with the Chinese team and the Dutch team, whereas there's so much variety in my warmups, there were there was no variety in Tuesdays and Saturdays because in Tuesdays and Saturdays we always had barefoot warmups, and that yeah. just was now I got to turn the 15 minutes into kind of a speed agility session, but it was always no shoes, and it, mm. you have to. As much as I like the athletes walking into my warm up and seeing a bunch of crazy equipment on the ground and being like, oh my God, what are we going to use water balloons for? And why is there a donkey <laughs> in the corner? And what the heck <laughs> is we're going to do with this? I love that. But it just the logistics necessitate that they have to know when to not come with their ankle braces and their tape and all this, whatever. And so those were the days that I got to have a good 15 minutes where I would really just be trying to put them through every single movement plane, range of motion, make it more and more unpredictable as we went on, delving a little bit of unstable surfaces. More importantly, putting unstable surfaces on your, like aqua bags on your shoulders. Yeah. I like that a lot more than Bosu Ball. Like the Eric's pad or whatever, That's, yeah. It seemed the transfer is better that way. Yes. That's a little bit more volleyball specific is to have the unknown up top. Yes. And, and that's the way that we did it. Now, when I joined the German team, adaptability, my head coach is also a genius with warmups. And he actually takes the first five minutes to 10 minutes of warmup to do these kind of differential learning style volleyball challenges. So he has this huge okay. library of fun kind of thermo, lightly thermogenic challenges where the girls just have a different thing they have to do every day to start practice. And it's along, it's perfectly aligned with the way I do things. It's wonderful. The girls are dialed in. It is, I guess I'm a little bit sweaty before they get turned over to me, but they're in shoes. And so mm. no, I no longer can do that. And right. they no longer have barefoot warmups before practice. So I just pivoted. And now all of our weight training sessions are barefoot. Um, oh, there you go. Almost. You find a way to get it in, right? Yeah. And that's been a big boon because you know, it's always a learning curve. Because at first, most athletes are like, no, God, it's going to be so uncomfortable. And then, uh, and then the first time that they squat without a Bulgarian, without, they're like, I'm stronger. I'm lifting. I'm more stable. I'm lifting more weights. I feel better. I feel like a kid again. Like the jumps yeah. are fun. The sprints are kind of fun. And so then now they're to the point that at least most of the team, there are a couple of girls that have to wear shoes for whatever contraindicated not to, but sure. But but most of the, the athletes are addicted to it now. And so that's where we have to get that foot strength in. And so I'm making sure that in our weight training, I probably do a little bit more kind of lateral plyometric, reactive plyometric, or frontal plane plyometric, whatever. Whatever, yeah. Stuff just to make sure that we are ticking that box on the ankle stuff and make sure we're keeping those ankles as bulletproof as possible. Because, of course, that's the key to our knee health. And, and yeah, and so up, up that chain and, and that's the way we've been approaching it, uh, approaching it now. Yeah, no, I really like that. And I had a similar experience in the sense that when I first got into basketball, guys love these big clunky shoes, huge high tops. And a lot of them were like kind of rolling their eyes. What do you mean? I can't wear my shoes. Like, no, just take them off. Like just, we started with the warmups and a lot of guys were just shocked. They're like, oh my God, first off, my foot is so weak. Yep. Or you put them in like a split stance, like a, a Bulgarian or split squat position and their foot's all over the place. They have no like stability from the yeah. ground up. And so all of a sudden they're like, oh, wow, like this is something I should work on. I'm like, yeah. yes. Yeah. And imagine how much better you're going to feel when you have that connection from the ground up. Yeah. So I love and that you found a way to work it in somehow. Right. Absolutely. And I'm going to do it. That's one of my kind of postmortems from last year. And, and, and this year, I think I'm going to do even more really fast plyometric work in the weight room, like mm -hmm. almost more rapid fire stuff that like yeah. rapid response as they would call it in exos. Yes. Those yep. drills that it used to be kind of a, a quick throwaway that I would do just right before at the end of warm up before they went to the volleyball court. Yep. I think I'm going to start programming a little bit more of that in bare feet to get just a little bit more of that elasticity, a little bit more of that touch, that feel a little bit more of that bounce. And I think, yeah, I, I, the girls feel it. I mean, it, especially for like supersetting something like a Bulgarian, how many times do I, I almost love it when their back foot cramps up when they're doing a Bulgarian, <laughs> right? And they start right. in pan. I'm like, that's because we're, this will not be a problem at the end of the season. We're getting stronger in those feet. Like we got to keep taking those shoes off for box jumps. We got to keep being as reactive as possible. Yeah. I love it. So another topic that you touched on was deceleration. 
and especially deceleration in volleyball, what most people don't think about, they see the person that's skying and smashing the ball, but they don't understand the deceleration that goes into that. Even though they're only taking two or three steps, there's a lot of deceleration going on to convert that horizontal to vertical energy. So I would just love to hear how you're incorporating deceleration work into your programs. Yeah, a couple of ways. I mean, I, I, again, I really... Uh, one of the things that was great about working in the Netherlands and the, uh, great about working overseas in general is how you're exposed to different schools of thought. And so you have mm -hmm. this whole school of thought that's born, I don't know about born, but is espoused by the Dutch physiologist Franz Bosch. And mm. he is a, a huge influence over there. And there's a bunch of disciples of his. So for that, in the Dutch weight rooms, as you might imagine, and as a result, every weight room has eight aqua bags which when I went oh, over yeah. there, we're not, and with the backpacks on, which were not oh, yeah. in American weight rooms at the time. And so when I got into that, that, that really opened my mind to what I think is a better way to train deceleration, which is with at speed, with a hint of that instability that causes that co-contraction of the muscles that helps yeah. prevent the muscles. When you don't know exactly where that water is sloshing around, it just makes it that much better. And I'm very bought into this philosophy and idea that when you, if you're training for deceleration and it's not at speed, there is a loss of translation that yeah. your body is not recognizing it quite as well. And there is a place for, we have a heavy eccentric component in the beginning of our weight training sessions. And truthfully, in the beginning of warmups for the first part of the year where you know, we're on K boxes a lot at the beginning of the season because it is yep. accentuated eccentrics where you're getting that yep. really pulled down to earth pretty aggressively. And that's part of our deceleration training. Um, yes, I love it. Unfortunately, and I use a lot of the little wheels there because I think that once that wheel gets too big and it gets too slow, we stop having the direct transfer. I can yeah. take an aqua bag and make it relatively light. And I think we might do our best work with a lighter aqua bag with just a couple of pounds in it strap that into a weight vest or just holding it to your chest. And we're having to do a bunch of stepping off box at different angles and having to try to stabilize it or make a quick move afterward. And that becomes the basis of our, our kind of knee bulletproofing and deceleration work. I also think, yeah. and I'll say this really quickly, when we're talking about warmups, my warmups evolve over the season. And that's a part of the adaptability is that a warm-up that you see at the beginning of the season would have a ton of eccentric dropping off of boxes, have it holding and stabilizing, like isometrics and grinds. And if you looked at the end of the season, all that's gone. Much more of the reactive games of the of of the um, kind of prehab, it's a kind of a couple of feel good exercises, a couple of maybe out of alignment strength stuff that we're doing yeah. to try to keep, you know, it's walking around on inverted ankles, like working on that out of alignment strength, if we're talking about ankle strength. Yeah. So that's where we'll be playing around with that throughout the season. But so there's an evolution there. Mm -hmm. But warm up is also another place that if we're working on that deceleration work, I don't have to just do it in the weight room. I, I get to do that all throughout warmups, especially at the beginning of the season. And, and the aqua bags are on our back a lot. And we're in the weight room, we're with K boxes and and we also, we also, gosh, one of the things that when I left the United States and I went to China, I must have had 20, it must have been like part of the autopilot that I would go on as an Exos employee to be like, Boop, nobody uses their glutes enough. Everyone's too quad dominant. We are going to, <laughs> your glutes are asleep. We are putting the miniband on to wake up your glutes. We're going to make you a more glute dominant athlete. Um, yeah. True for so many. And like I was an sure. expert making glutes so sore that everybody thought I was like the best strength coach in the world. <laughs> <laughs> but in volleyball, truthfully, you have to worry a lot more about quads because of it's a de yes. it is a deceleration sport. And because there's an net in front of you that makes deceleration have to happen with a kind of a chest upright instead of yeah, being it's a very vertical yeah. upright torso position. Yeah, there's not as much of it. You get a hip hinge in your jumping, but there's a block jumps are not a much of a hip hinge, much no. more of a squat pattern. And so we spend a lot of time on our quads in, in volleyball. And so that also helps us a little bit. Yeah, dude, that is awesome. And a point that you made that I would like everybody listening in to hopefully focus in on is that especially when we're talking about breaking and deceleration, so we just follow the same trend of more weight is better, right? More weight is better in the case of a K boxer. I use an extra fly, like flywheel devices. Yeah. We think, oh, more, more, bigger disc, more discs, right? And so 
that's not how it looks or feels. If you watch volleyball, if you watch basketball where they're doing these hard decels, it's aggressive and fast. And if we're going to call ourselves general physical preparation coaches, right, because we're not volleyball coaches or basketball coaches, man, the things that we do have to mimic that to some degree, right? So I love that you said that because I see that a lot, right? Or you see the kid with the medicine ball and it's like a 20 pound medicine ball and it's like slow as snots. Are you really getting what you want to out of that? Or would you be better off with a two pound ball and really chucking that thing as fast as you could? The, the farther you get away from game speed, the less your body recognizes that motion. Yeah. And yeah. It's yeah. Uh, that's stolen from Franz Bosch, but that point really resonated with me that if I'm spending all of my time in the kind of the slower, heavier versions of exercises, then I mean, Mike, I could name for you my, the best squatters on all of my teams and the best three squatters on all my teams are almost never my starting six players. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Why am I trying to make the starting six who are lights out body weight and so and can jump out of the weight room with white lightweights on their back? Why am I trying to turn them into the girls on my team that squat the most, but maybe aren't the most explosive? Yeah. Boom. Mic drop right there, dude. That's great. <laughs> okay, one more, and then we'll start to kind of wrap all this up. I would love to hear your thoughts on the value of straight arm strength. So this is something I had kind of loosely thought about, but not in the way that you had, and you did such a great job of explaining it. So could you kind of explain to everybody listening what straight arm strength is and the value that it plays in some of these overhead athletes. I, I gotta be honest, Mike, this whole straight arm philosophy was born out of me just needing to say something interesting. Hey man, whatever works, dude. I had never really thought, I mean, to an extent, I stole this a little bit from an, another European guy named Ido Portal. And I went to a okay. couple of his workshops and gosh, this is another reason that I just love like going overseas where it's a whole different crew than the perform better crew that I've heard a lot of times, like the, it's a whole yeah. bunch of gurus that you get to listen to. So yeah. seen Ido Portal a couple of times and he has athletes that just hang from bars for a long time. And then they can do 50 weighted pull-ups as a result of it. And, oh my gosh. You know, and like he can like people just doing ring positions and rings and, and holding like these isometric positions. But also in my experience working with the Chinese gymnastics team, showed me like you're talking about some of these the strongest biggest guys i've ever seen and there's n almost no part of a male gymnast sport that has bent arms like everything yeah. is straight armed and they're jacked and they have like pretty bulletproof i mean they have incredible amounts of way more torque on their shoulders than my volleyball players ever oh yeah in. and they're relatively injury free there so there's something to this where um, we can get a lot out of training kind of like a gymnast. And that's when, and also it takes the box of, okay, it's real easy for me to do handstands against the wall in my gym before. I love finding exercises that I can push into warmups, of course. Yeah, um, absolutely. Also things like this kind of ring position and also overhead farmer carry things like all of these tick that box where we can get a lot done strength-wise, shoulder-wise, without having to do pushes and pulls. We do pushes and pulls. Like in every workout, I'm going to do one push and one pull probably. And I do believe the key to a functioning, healthy shoulder is to be pushing and pulling in all planes, hopefully as equally right. as possible. It's also part of, I, I want a really fun, engaging weight room. And you know, I'm not going to get athletes smiling when they see handstands on the menu. I might get them smiling if they see bench press throws in the Smith machine for speed right. contests or something like that, that I could dream up. Yeah. So I need to take all that out. But that said, I think I do, I know that I, I do more straight arm strength work and think more about how to make that engaging than other, the other coaches do. Here's the other part of that too. So just thinking about whether it's over here, out to the side, wherever, there's an incredible amount of trunk strength yeah. and core, core strength, whatever you want to call it that gets baked into those types of exercises that you don't necessarily get when the elbows are bent. Yeah. And I think that's something that a lot of people forget about too, right? God, I'm glad you brought that up because that's a great thing. When you isolate, when you say, okay, I'm going to get the shoulder strong today by straightening out the arm, by straightening out the elbow, then you're like, okay, that's kind of boring. How can I make that more interesting? All right. What if they were hanging off the end of a bench with a partner sitting on their legs and there was an abdominal component to it? And 
what if I tried to make it look more like volleyball by having them kind of snap their core into a kind of a similar to a spike motion that would make it more dynamic stabilization on the shoulder while also making it something that I have to demonstrate beforehand. And they're like, oh, that's kind of cool. And that's kind of hard. And that's kind of, yeah. And by the end, I know I'm doing my job right. If they're like, hey, I'm going to grab the 30 pound dumbbells this time. Will you get my phone and film it for me? Because I think this is really cool. I want to send it to my strength coach back on my club team. And so you're hitting on something that ticks those boxes that you want. Plus, as I mentioned in the video, like a surprising amount of volleyball is it with straight arms, <laughs> like we do. Yeah, absolutely. Quad balls. When you hit balls, it's all with a straight arm. But yeah, it's, it transfers pretty well. Yeah. A common theme to the people listening at home is finding ways to make things fun and increase buy-in. And I think they're baked together, right? This is something that I try and do. There's And there's lots of ways you can do it, right? Like one of the ways you do an amazing job is your warmups and all the the fun activities that you bake into your training sessions. Maybe that's not your thing. Maybe it's more just how you engage with people, finding the right music, but finding ways to make things fun and increase buy-in is going to help you keep a job for a heck of a lot longer. <laughs> and as we all know, that's a big part of this, right? Just staying around long enough, brewing yep. the reps so that eventually you get pretty good at what you're doing. You're so. Speaking my language, I think constantly about someone trying to steal my job and how I can make it really effing tough for them to take my job. Okay, you have at it, but here's what the athletes that I train come to expect. Exactly. And so good good luck. Good luck. Okay, man, big question time. If you could alter the space-time continuum and give young Rhett Larson one piece of advice, what would it be? That would be to look for those small ponds that by that i think granularly to have looked for jobs outside the united states earlier in my career like it wasn't until i was almost 40 before i got that job in china and that has been the most crucial thing i've ever done professionally the best decision that i didn't make i mean it was just an opportunity that came across my lap that boy it just changed the whole trajectory of me trajectory of, of mine professionally like I wasn't the warm-up guy before that. I wasn't the, the guy that is good at assimilating with teams in foreign countries before that. I didn't know I had right. those skills. I didn't know I could learn Chinese. I didn't know I had any of this. And it's really enabled me to become the coach I am today. It sounds like China's a small pond, but when you're one of the only <laughs> foreigners in China, you are a, kind of a big fish in a small pond. But even when I go to the Netherlands, like being an American coach in the Netherlands, I coach differently. Like the American style, like my my athletes in the Netherlands and in Germany will often be like, you're being really American right now, Rhett. Could you dial that that 11 down to an eight? Could could we turn off Eye of the Tiger for a second and uh, (laughs) just talk to us like we're real people? But that is a niche. Like I am bringing something different to that pond. And so being a, a volleyball strength conditioning guy and like all of that, I think has been, when I stopped just trying to be just a generic kind of coach for everybody and everything. I, I I started having a lot more fun. I started being able to kind of explore my creativity. Yeah, I love that, dude. Great advice. Great advice. Okay, <clears throat> last but not least, we've got our lightning round. So okay. six fairly short questions. Your answers can be as long or short as you like. <laughs> okay. Most of these are pulled from your IG. So if you need context, yeah. let me know. Yeah. Number one. How many volleyball players do you know that actually smoke cigarettes? (laughs) (laughs) Important note, indoor volleyball players and very many, but crucially not on my teams. Don't, there are not many, there are a few, but I have, I've mentioned this whenever in the context of people telling me that indoor volleyball players need any sort of cardiovascular fitness. And I point to the fact of how many of the best players in the world. And, and also Team Serbia is a very good volleyball team. And in Serbia, it is not quite so socially repugnant to smoke. The Italians love to smoke and they're a very good volleyball team. Russians are very good at volleyball. Chinese, there are some cultures out there where smoking is not looked down upon as it is in America. And and a ton of, of very good volleyball players you see smoking out on the balcony in the hotel. And it's way worse on the men's side. But I'm sure. Yeah. Beach volleyball. You could never get away with that. But indoor, you absolutely can. Yeah. We'll get on a volleyball court indoors. Look at how small of a space you have to own. Then get on a beach court with one other person and realize how big that space is and how slow you are. And you realize, (laughs) oh, okay. 
There's no way I could do that. It's almost apples and oranges, really is. It, 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 it's completely different sports. It's hard to transfer one player to the next. It's amazing when they can do it, like the cards yes. of the world. Yeah. Oh, my. Yeah. Yeah. Legend right there. Yeah. Okay. Let's say a random young volleyball decides they're going to listen to the Physical Prep podcast. They're like, oh, this is my guy, Rhett. I want to know what he has to say. You get to give them one tip to help them jump higher. What is it? Mm, shit. This is the worst <laughs> one because this is. I know because they all want to know, right? I want to hedge. I want to just give you the crappiest big answer. I think a lot of time there's like these schools of thought where it's like a lot of coaches would get on here and just be like, get stronger. And there's a lot of people that make a lot of money off of just oh, yeah. plyometric work, like being, you can make a lot. You know, there's a lot of people that are like, yeah, Carl Lewis never lifted weights and you need to spend more time right. running fast and jumping high and all that stuff. I think that maybe if I had to give one piece of advice would be to explore that middle. I don't know that enough people okay. talk about the benefits of doing weighted plyometrics with lighter weights. And I feel like okay. one of the things that I do more and more in my weight room and maybe I get the most out of is are the jumps that we're able to do with only five or 10 pounds. Maybe that's in the form of an aqua bag sometimes maybe, but if it's for pure vertical, then it's going with weight vests and very light bars in sport-specific jumps, spike approach jumps or one-footed jumps yeah. for our middles or for basketball players, trying to gamify that and get up on as high a box as you freaking can. And yeah. then also exploring heavier weights with bilateral jumps like that. But sitting in that 5 to 20-pound range and doing yes. a lot of your work there. That's not just about the jump, but also the landing. Like with a little yeah. bit of weight on your back, you're getting a ton of benefit from that. And so I, th I think if I, and I put my money where my mouth is, I have a bunch of nephews that are basketball fanatics and I just got them, okay. weight, vest, just got them a weight vest for Christmas because I do think yeah. that uh, playing around in that middle zone is where okay. I might do that. But if I were to give a big, terrible answer, I would say that it also behooves someone that cares deeply about getting stronger to play with all the different schools of thought. Like when yeah. a new person all the bases. Out and they're saying, Hey, if you just do deep squats with your heels elevated, you will get, be able to dunk a basketball. Like, all right, try it for three months. I don't know. It's three months of your very long life. Do it. Somebody says jump soles are great. Cool. All right. Sure. Try right. it for three months. What's the worst? I mean, yeah. the worst that happens is you tear your Achilles. That's a terrible, <laughs> it's a terrible example, yeah. but, Try aggressive plyometric programs. Try the jump rope diet. Try just getting your squat up as high as possible. Try doing jump squats with weight. Try Olympic lifts. Do it all. Because here's the deal. If there were one thing that worked, I would be the best strength coach in the world because all my athletes would jump high equally. But my – Yeah. But – Every season, it's about figuring out what this athlete needs. Like, I, it's taken yeah. me three years to find out that one player on my team doesn't get anything out of big getting stronger, that it only yeah. makes her worse and frustrated, that we should spend all of our time doing lightweight stuff. And for other girls, getting stronger is the key. And for other girls, like, sprinting more is the key because they've been doing jumps all their lives and, and getting more single legs, whatever. But it's right. uh, But everyone is so freaking different that – I think that there's something to be said for throwing a lot of stuff against the side of the barn and seeing what sticks. Yeah, agreed. Okay, number three, talk to me about no zombies. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know where that was born, but I think, <laughs> I mean, I was giving a lot of presentations about this idea about the warm up and kind of railing against the fact that <clears throat> when I, myself included, when I was a young coach, my athletes could comfortably sleepwalk through my warm up. They knew right. the beats, right? They knew that after we rubbed the stick on our calves, we were going to rub the stick on our VMA, right? <laughs> after yeah. we did our, you know, after we did our crab crawl, I would make them go into this and then they would do their frog crawls. And for me, that just, that was just flew in the face of what I was looking for, which is engagement, which is someone that is dialed in, somebody that's focused, that is trying to learn more about their body, whatever, their athleticism, exploring. I stopped saying that the sleepwalk thing, and then I kind of got into a zombie thing, and I was thinking, like, you just don't want to have a bunch of zombies that don't even have to look at you to know what comes next in your yeah. warm-up. And, and you certainly don't want a bunch of zombies walking out at the game whistle, like, ready to play a game when they haven't been neurologically engaged or they're not even in the right mindset. Maybe they're not even having fun, right? This is a game. Right. As I did, as I am often apt to say, I think that having a warm up 
before competition where your athletes are smiling puts you in a psychological advantage. If you are for sure. distracting the other team because you're like having fun and smiling and laughing, like that's the same stuff you're doing when you're winning a game. And so when you take yeah. the court, like it, you're already in that winning mindset. And I think that's not a small thing. No, I agree. I agree. Number four, how's the pickleball coach coming along? Man. Is that still a thing? Can we just, let's just edit this part out. <laughs> um, no pickleball coach. Just, uh, this is, I mean, this is, this could relate to the small pond thing. Like I, I love playing pickleball and I bring pickleball rackets over to Germany every year so that I can play pickleball with my assistant coaches. Cause there's a tennis court that we have taken over as a pickleball court because it's super fun, but as a lark, and this is kind of when I couldn't decide where, where I should focus my energy on Instagram. I just decided maybe I should just have fun, like starting being the pickleball guy. There's no pickleball guy yet. Let's be yeah. the pickleball guy. Let's just see if I, I can be my niche. And I dabbled, but here's what I found out, Mike. I hate being the subject of my videos. Like I hate oh, I'm not yeah. training a pickleball player right now. Like I'm not, and I don't necessarily want to, to start working in the thing that I think is fun right now. So I don't want to make pickleball a job right now. So I didn't realize how much yes. I would hate seeing myself on film doing the movements so slowly and so poorly. So <laughs> I decided that uh, I'll table that for a while, just enjoy being a pickleball coach. And I'm sure I'll pick it back up if I can get some energy behind it. But right now, like any energy I have around social media, I'm trying to keep on the volleyball train for a while. I love it. I love it. Okay. Number five. Where do you pull the creativity from, man? What's, what, is there a muse? Is there just like being observant? Like, where are you pulling all this stuff from, man? First of all, I steal liberally. I have, I follow crazy Korean coaches that are doing stuff way cooler than I do, <laughs> right? I'll watch a Japanese game show and be like, oh my God, I think I could make that into a warm up if I don't, <laughs> if I could just substitute that whipped cream cannonball for a med ball, then maybe, right, then maybe this could work. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Instagram is an incredible. I'm late to the game on Instagram. Yeah. And over the last two years, I'm like, whoa, this just in, this is a fount of, of creativity and, and ideas. Right. And so if you curate your feed well enough, I, ha I do get a lot of ideas there. I kind of have, I have buckets, like a lot of my, a lot of my creativity is very equipment based. Like I have, I, in Germany, I have short sticks and long sticks. I have medicine balls. I have hacky sacks. I have, I got everything. I have a huge toy chest. And so whenever I see somebody using hacky sacks in a un unique way, boom, that goes into my hacky sack folder. And when oh, I nice. decide it's time when I'm looking to, to plan out a week of warmups and I think, okay, somebody said we need hip mobility. Hip mobility means hacky sack to me. I'll be like, okay, if I'm going to get the hacky sacks out for maybe some hacky sack hip mobility, Oh shit, there's that fun game that PE teacher did with hacky sacks. That is so cool. They can chuck them against each other and whatever. So yeah. that's, that's half of what I, that's half of it. But also it's like a muscle. It's like anything. The more you practice being creative with it, the easier it gets, the better I think I am at being able to come up with how I can volleyballify. I don't know how I can, how I can yeah. make yeah. a kid's game That'll work. volleyball specific. Yeah. Hashtag volleyballification. There it is. That's the new one. <laughs> There it is. There um, it is. So yeah. Anyway, so I just think, yeah, I, I don't know that I'm especially good at it, but uh, I know that you can get better at it because I wouldn't have said I was good at it maybe five or 10 years ago. Yeah, man, that's a great little nugget too. Again, if you're listening in, curating your feed and creating folders for different topic areas, very important. And it just saves you an incredible amount of time. So you get stuck with somebody, oh man, there's this person with knee stuff and I can't figure it out. Boom. You've got your knee pain archive, yeah. right? Yeah. Or your warm up archive, courtesy of Rhett Larson, whatever, right? Like curating your feeds, creating folders. It just I, expedites everything. And last week, Mike, I got just to a do wealth a, of information. Yeah, I got to do a workshop last week and I went into the place and they had hula hoops. And I was like, oh, yes, we have no hula hoops in, in, in Germany. I haven't had hula hoops in since I was in China. And I opened it up and I was like, oh, yes. Here's what we're yeah. going to do today. I was so excited to use awesome. my hula hoop warm-up ideas. So yeah, that that's awesome. Definitely helps me. I, I get credit for creativity that I don't have. I just, I just, I think I compile and organize pretty well. Yeah, nothing wrong with that, man. Okay, last but not least, number six. What's next for Rhett Larson? What are you working on? What are you excited about? <laughs> Anything? I boy, I hate that question. I have. <laughs> I'm not. 
I'm, I'm not an expert at what I, where I'm going to be uh, in the next couple yeah. of years. This is, and especially this year, this is an Olympic year. So my contract ends at the end of this year. And so I, it's hard to know right. what will happen. A lot will depend on the season, but, but I, I've, I never would have predicted that I'd be in Germany. I wouldn't have predicted I'd gone to the Netherlands. So it's a little bit of me doesn't want to make the prediction. I will tell you that I'm trying to think about what other parts of this profession could make me happy. The Instagram thing, actually, like mm. trying to care about educating a broader audience is a little bit engaging for me, a little bit interesting. For sure. I don't know. For if, sure. I don't know if the trade-offs of also having to spend the time on my phone to do it are worth it. But yeah, I don't have a great answer for you, Mike, on that one. I think I'll, I'm enjoying strength and conditioning still, but I'm also a big yeah. proponent. I'm 51 years old and I don't know that I'll want to be a strength coach forever. So I'm also looking for an enormous pivot in the next 10 years. Yeah. Okay. Been totally different, but who knows what that'll be. Yeah. I love it. You seem like the guy that is more than willing to accept a new challenge and get out of his comfort zone. So I'll be excited to see what the next steps include. No, I appreciate My guy, dude, this has been awesome. I'm so glad, whatever, 10 years in the making, we finally got this recorded and on the books. You were fantastic. Where can my listeners find out more about you and all the great work you're doing? Yeah, just in, just on uh, Instagram. I'm Redasaurus. So just like R-E-T-A-S-A-U-R-U-S. Yeah, a nickname that came up with by a nephew decades ago before I thought Instagram <laughs> would be a thing. And I just let him choose the <laughs> name and now I'm stuck with it. Redosaurus. I love it. That's all right. I am Rob Train Systems on everything. So everybody just leads with, hey, Rob. <laughs> okay. I could have done better on my handles too, man. I'd rather be the Redosaurus than Rob. Yeah, that's hard. So, you're right. It's so bad. It's so bad. Rhett, again, dude, thank you so much for your time, brother. This was amazing. Appreciate you. Uh, right back at you. Like I said, I'm a fan, so it's been super fun for me to talk with you. All right, my friends, that does it for this week's episode with Rhett Larson. Really hope you enjoyed it. Man, just such an engaging conversation. I love talking with guys like Rhett. He's obviously super seasoned, right? Like living in California, getting comfortable, moving to China, being totally uncomfortable. But Man, just the professional growth and evolution was fascinating to hear about. I love his thoughts on the warm-up, on deceleration, using some of these unstable or reactive elements in your warm-ups, in your training, to really get the best out of your athletes. And I love people that kind of think outside the box. I myself have this tendency to be very linear, and I think there's a time and a place for that, but also finding ways to enhance creativity, to increase engagement, and to increase buy-in in your workouts is absolutely critical. So really hope you enjoyed the episode. If you did, come on, do me one small favor. Please share this with somebody that would benefit from it. You know my my mantra, my focus with this show is to make our industry great. If we're gonna do that, we have to work together. I need people like you that enjoy the show to help spread the word and to let other coaches, other trainers know the great work that we're trying to do here. So share Rhett's message with the world. I would truly appreciate it. And my friend, that does it for this week's episode. As always, thank you so much for your support. Love and appreciate you. And we'll be back next week with our next episode. Take care.